Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today you're going to hear from a couple of friends of mine, George Robinson at Southeast Baptist Theological Seminary is asking questions of Nathan Shank on what it's going to take to get to no place left, South Asia. Nathan, tell us a little bit about, kind of give us an overview of the four fields um, and then how did that come into being and how does it reflect the core missionary task? Yeah, well, it, any any effective gospel tool or illustration of a missions paradigm, it really does take a village, you know, to create a, a model, I suppose you could say. And those two names you already mentioned, uh, both uh, uh, they, uh, excuse me, Jeff Sundell, who was a mentor, a supervisor in that same term I mentioned, just coming out of seminary 2005 through 2009, our direct supervisor. And also Bruce Carlton, who was Jeff's supervisor during that time. That's right, yeah. Uh, in leadership in South Asia, who wrote our job description when we came to the field as a career uh, unit with the IMB. Uh, we cut our teeth under those same brothers. And what does it mean to go about church planting, to try to mobilize from church, pre, that is pre-existing South Asian congregations, uh, mobilize them from church to engage with the church planting plan. In some ways, uh, Dr. Ramsey would really be about near culture mobilization, even to engage new peoples and targets that may have been our assignment. Yeah. And, you know, it is a village. Those brothers challenging us, really, the, one of the very first questions and lessons, excuse me, that we learned from Jeff was that that mobilization, uh, that equipping, it, it requires some simple answers to some very basic questions. Uh, things like, who do I share with? And then for that matter, what do I say? What do I do if they say yes? And how do I form community out of those who would identify with Christ? How do we facilitate them identifying with each other as a body uh, called the church? And then for that matter, how do we reproduce leaders who can do all those things? Those five basic questions really were like orientation, uh, mobilization 101 for us as we approached uh, South Asian churches and church planning networks, partners, potential partners from around Northeast India where we were serving. Uh, and and looked for simple biblical answers to the question, where do we start? How, what is the first step in mobilization? To answer the question, who do we share with? We started calling that entry strategy. Yeah. Uh, what do we say is, is gospel presentation? How do we define and gently contextualize, maintain the integrity of a Rome, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 gospel around centered on the death, burial, resurrection? According to scripture, how do we share the gospel and what do we as an answer to what do we say? How, what do we do if they say yes? It was how do we make disciples? And so looking first of all and primarily digging for a number of years into the Galilean ministry of Jesus as he walked with the 12, called them out, invested in them. But also for that matter, as we looked across the, the Pauline journey, specifically in Acts, to see all the way through his epistle ministry, how Paul was beginning discipleship, but also maintaining investment in long-term discipleship, even in churches. So that how do we form them into groups really is 
asking simple questions of the Bible. How do we form church related to identity? What is and isn't a church related to church function, related to leadership? All of those, those questions catalyzing simple Bible studies in order to mobilize. And then finally, how do we reproduce leaders who can own this whole process, who can pass on the same mobilization to those they're discipling? And in doing so, we would begin to multiply. Well, those five questions corresponded to the five parts of a church planning plan that in many ways we inherited, not just Dave or Jeff Sundell, but for that matter, a brother named Neil Mims, a brother named David Garrison, who was our regional leader at that time, demanding uh, and campaigning those five parts around uh, the South Asian region at that time. And I think what we, as we came along in that season, what they saw with these five parts, what became known as the four fields around South Asia, entry, gospel, discipleship, church formation, and then leadership development who could own those fields. Uh, what we saw and inherited was just an intense desire for balance. And that's really what uh, the four fields is meant to be. It's a, it's a description or an illustration of a church planning process that goes from church to church, uh, focuses on mobilization using simple tools, but ultimately becomes a diagnostic for the sake of balance. So that if engagement or entry and seed sowing, field one and two, if you're familiar with the tool, if those are heating up and they're even white hot as far as momentum for sharing the gospel, the counterbalance of that process would be disciple making and church formation that more than deserve attention, they, for it to be sustainable, they're going to require attention and deep investment, hearty investment to see that entire process balanced so that it can spin, so that it can reproduce generationally. Uh, the four fields then, a diagnostic tool for the sake of balance. Over time, over more than now in the second decade of our campaign around that process, from church to church, church planting process, um, the IMB it has spread, maybe gone a little viral as far as an illustration of the church planting process. And in other affinities, as it's been captured, as it's been owned, not only a variety of tools for sharing the gospel and making disciples have been tailored contextually in different fields, but other illustrations are worth considering as well, where that process uh, from church to church, maybe even Acts 13 from Antioch to the Acts 14 planting of Galatian churches. As we see that process across scripture, other illustrations uh, that bring vibrancy and, and, and paint that paradigm in color to understand that to mobilize disciples, those simple same questions have to be addressed. To have balance and multiplication over time, even generations of churches You've got to answer the questions. Who do we share with? What do we say? What do I do if they say yes? We call that disciple making. How do we form churches? And how do we reproduce leaders who can do all these things? That's your four fields. By 2018, the IMB uh, adopted those same five parts, added a sixth component, exit, so that even from the beginning, even as we enter, as we enter a new field, we're looking to uh, exit with integrity to partnership 
so that again, that task, global great commission task could be multiplied. The IMB adopts that and puts it in their foundations document with a different visual, different illustration, as I said, but those same component parts that have uh, grown on the vine in South Asia. So tell us then, you know, the four fields, core missionary task, how is that being used in South Asia among personnel and among nationals? What are maybe some challenges that you've seen as new missionaries come out and try to take part in that? And what opportunities uh, have you seen kind of present themselves as people devote themselves to a very clear reproducing strategy? Well, you know, uh, Dr. Robinson, each of our teams, IMB teams deployed in South Asia, steward a people group list. Most cases that might be 20, 25 different ethne people groups we've defined uh, based on our global database to understand as gospel targets. And some of those peoples might be greater than 2% Christian. The church may have been birthed among them, might be growing. Even if they're less than 2%, they might have reproduction in the midst of some of those targets. Other people groups on that list might be remaining not just unreached, but unengaged. Mm-hmm. In which case, uh, there's a with a variety of targets, and yet every one of our teams has at least some Christian presence within that people group list. Yeah. Some of those targets might be waiting for the first gospel presentation, but nearby or near culture, hopefully in language, there are some Christian communities, even a small percentage, right? That can be mobilized in order to engage, that can be ultimately seen as they take ownership of the same missionary task as the laborers that are emerging from the harvest inside that people group list. In that sense, uh, not only do our personnel put the four fields, put those simple components of the missionary task to work in their own disciplines, engaging lostness, sowing the seed, making disciples, planting churches, reproducing leaders, but they're also challenged to consider training, mobilizing local Christian communities, Christian churches being the primary target, uh, that they also should join in that task. That's where the four fields or the components of the missionary task have defined for us the non-negotiables that we would want and, and to see about purity, the purity of the gospel. We'd want to, to think through discipleship, both in terms of milk and meat. And so uh, in church formation, leadership and, and church function and identity, those pieces that fit with sustainability. In that sense, the four fields or each com- component of the missionary task, each field takes on a bit of a spiral learning assignment. We might introduce how to share the gospel with a, simple Romans road or a three circles tool or a few, a handful of memory verses to to get them started in sharing. But over time, as we go through and around and around that topic or component of gospel seed sowing, we're learning more about the gospel and we're diving more and even into our heart in the breadth of understanding of what Christ has accomplished in his death and his resurrection In which case, the four fields, by defining gospel seed sowing as a non-negotiable, it also, via that same spiral learning, becomes a a bit of a template for ongoing, even long-term disciple-making. That, where churches are the target of that training, uh, we're seeing many pre-existing churches move toward health. 
even in their own understanding of church function, if it were fueled for church formation or in the leadership that might emerge from among them or field three disciple making or field one awareness of the people group targets all around them within that team leader's assignment. In each of those cases, then, uh, literally there are thousands and thousands of South Asian believers being trained every year. We challenge each of our team lead teams to train broadly, not just in four fields, but to train a broad audience for mobilization, but then also to commit annually to a few, typically six to 10, that they will genuinely live life with and go deep in investment. So what is that relationship then um, between disciple making and church formation? That the that obedience to Christ is a schoolmaster. It is a venue for ongoing learning, just like that spiral learning I talked about. So that beginning, what we introduced in beginning discipleship would ultimately become a foundation for lifelong learning and disciple making and discipleship. Well, you and I have both been served by a brother named George Patterson, who defined for us simple basic list of commands of Christ presumably that fill the beginning, the starting point of a Matthew 28, 19 command to teach them to obey, observe everything I've commanded. Now, as disciples take on those, what does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to take up our cross? It, it requires that we begin with certain spiritual disciplines. Those disciplines are actually efficacious. They do have an effect on us as we learn to pray. As we learn to take in the word of God, as we learn a commit to repentance and baptism and Lord's Supper and giving and loving others, even going and making disciples. Some of what we often call beginning discipleship or often call spiritual disciplines of a disciple. It's fascinating, George, that as those same personal disciplines are practiced corporately, they overlap so clearly with the functions of the first churches in Acts chapter 2. Right. Yes. Where, is it 242, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and prayer. He goes on from there, Luke does, in describing the functions of those first church. Well, devotion to the apostles' teaching is very a very similar list to those same commands of Christ that the disciples were teaching the new church to obey. In which case, we, we the beginning discipleship that, that majors in initial personal disciplines of prayer, Bible intake, and uh, actually when stewarded corporately, when handled as, as, a, as a group, or the fast track, or at least the introduction to beginning church function. Mm-hmm. So that even as it, from the very first lessons of our beginning discipleship, uh, we're practicing things that will ultimately lead down the road to healthy church, again, when stewarded and committed corporately. In addition to that, you know, the piece of uh, what we call is, is, has various terms, uh, participative Bible study, discovery Bible study. Uh, what we're really talking about, first of all, personally, at least in South Asia, is from the beginning, equipping believers to begin to feed themselves. Mm-hmm. And in South Asia, the education systems, as you remember, having served with us previously, uh, the education systems are by rote memory. 
The teacher is never questioned in a South Asian classroom. Rather, as the teacher lectures or as the teacher drills the students, the, the students have to, to regurgitate the same and on a test in order to pass. So rote memorization is the education system. Well, when we come to the Word of God, that notion of inductive Bible study where you could look into the verse that says in John 11, Jesus wept and begin to pull out of the context and understand there's things to learn about God, even in that shortest verse of the Bible. There's things to learn about man as Lazarus had passed. There's things to learn related to sins to that we should throw off and, and commands or examples we should take on. There's simple tools for observation that can't be taken for granted. Honestly, I'm not sure we do a favor in the Western world of taking the, the assumption or taking for granted that people know how to begin to take a verse from the scripture and inductively put that food in their mouth to learn doctrine about God and man, to learn application, things to put off and things to put on. Well, when I was at Southeastern, with credit to Dr. Aiken, uh, observations of a biblical text were the beginning of our of our hermeneutical arc, mm-hmm. where we would begin to interpret Scripture by first of all beginning to make observations to in order to identify the main point and consider the context and first century audience and authorial intent and bridging, as we did in our hermeneutics class. Uh, beginning discipleship has to include an element learning how to feed yourself. And as it relates to church formation, if you're not learning this, if you're not practicing this, I promise you doing this, feeding others, is going to be anemic or even impossible. Yeah, Uh, It's going to be outsourced. And so from the beginning, asking such questions, part of our motive is to watch for the emerging gifting, the ability to do this, is a, is a good early indicator of the ability to teach. So watching and asking questions, looking for that, expecting that emerging uh, leadership gift of teaching to come from the body, but identifying it through those questions so that we can put our hand on it, so that we can pull them aside. They might become maybe one of our six to ten who we go deep with and develop that gift and over time to see them begin to practice a, t- a gift of, or a discipline of teaching others, or well, your beginning discipleship is foundational to your church formation. If, if disciples are multiplying and you're getting to generational growth in different streams there right. in South Asia, how do you make sure that um, those disciples are healthy? How do you make sure that those churches are healthy? There's an incredibly hot even white hot momentum across South Asia for seed summer mm-hmm. that we believe is uh, first of all, the compulsion of the spirit of God. You know, it's a, it's a Romans one sixteen dunamis, you know, the power of God unto salvation. Mm-hmm. I've been reading this week, all so many different plumber and, and uh, Schnabel and others just talking about uh, the expectation that where the gospel is at work, the compulsion, the even almost personal power of the gospel uh, that Paul could lean on and describe, expect to be at work among those churches so that he often doesn't have to tell them to get busy sharing. He's expecting it within the dunamis, you know, the gospel itself. Uh, Well, that's true all over South Asia. Believers compelled a lot to do with the glory of God, hopefully, as the purest of all motives, 
Uh, meanwhile, the truth that they, everyone they know is lost is also compelling. Yeah. In which case, having tasted truth, they're, they're, they're compelled by that same spirit of God to go and share. The one who gave them life compels them to share. And so uh, the truth of the matter, uh, that means if, if I can say thousands of people are hearing the gospel every day, how important is it? How Johnny on the spot do we have to be with disciple making and church formation to really dig in and push and campaign those expectations for church? Uh, the New Testament is no stranger to these challenges in question, right? The, That's the right. Mission, as you said, uh, we can't see a place where he planted a healthy church. And upon his first departure, most of the elements of church health that we have in his epistles, obviously, as letters, he is also doing in absentia. Right. He's moved on. And in many cases, he's heard about challenges. In some other cases, he's expecting challenges among them. And he's, his letters ministry is him writing back to deal with church health and absentia. He's not off the hook, right? Right. He cares for them. Colossians 1, even until Christ is formed in them. And yet, how do we do that for a Colossian church uh, through a Epaphras that we may never have even visited? They've never known Paul face to face. And yet he knows how to talk to them. He knows what instruction they need. He's worked through that emissary, Epaphras, to write them a letter that addresses their needs. And that's, in that regard, the New Testament via an epistle ministry is also not only relevant, but it's sufficient uh, for, to guide faith and practice. So that tool you mentioned, the, the generational charts or healthy church mapping, as we often call it, uh, that your students have taken a look at. It basically amounts to tracking Acts chapter 2 functions, uh, some maybe even 12 characteristics that we consider uh, a matter of, of health for local churches, diagnosing those things and whatever might be missing, like a doctor examining a patient, uh, would require instruction, might require attention through that Epaphras who would take it implement it and see them move toward health. And I'll tell you, George, the real quick of it over um, now more than a decade of time using that tool among networks that are multiplying. Uh, we're at the point of empirical data in our uh, various uh, tools for assessment that church identity, church function, according to Acts 2, and beyond Acts 2, the recognition of local leaders who have emerged, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, specifically elders, and in those cases, deacons, those emerging leaders being formally recognized, those three elements have as much to do with sustainability as any we can identify. Does a church self-identify? Well, that's Acts 2.41. They were added to the number. They devoted themselves. 2.42, right, from the book of Acts. Does that church practice function in their own authority? Are they giving baptism, practicing Lord's Supper? And for that matter, have they recognized local leaders emerging from within? Those three elements are the three primary indicators, uh, those are the three areas we've seen having the greatest effect on sustainability in church planting. Yeah. We would want to see them also reproduce generationally. That's valuable as they give away the kingdom. But those three, local identity, authority for church function, 
local leadership formally recognized, it shouldn't be a surprise that if there's no shepherd, the sheep tend to scatter, you know? Those three things have a greater impact on sustainability than anything we've seen. And that generational mapping tool literally used across uh, thousands of assessments annually, thousands of conversations regarding church health that take place annually in South Asia among our personnel. What do you think that students uh, should be doing here and now to prepare for being a part of what you're talking about there in South Asia or anywhere else around the world? There is no substitute for personal investment in engaging lostness, in sharing the good news of Christ, and following up when they say yes in disciple-making, even wherever possible to be involved in pioneering or church planting. Yeah. In which case... Do you know who to share with? George has answers to help you fill in the blanks on that, training and equipping. Do you know what to say? Are you sharing it regularly? You committed to harvest because beyond seed sowing, what are you going to do if they say yes? How are you going to cut and bundle that harvest? Where and how are you getting your feet wet even in beginning church formation? The expectations Christ has for his bride. Everywhere you can be involved in those personal disciplines, but for that matter, as you're called to be a disciple maker, bringing others along with you in that pursuit. Being a disciple maker is the best beyond uh, studying of any worldview or context globally. You're not going to find a substitute for discipline, seed sowing, and follow-up disciple making of your own. So if you haven't been involved there before, Begin with prayer. Ask God to give you a disciple. Ask God to give you a target field. Engage that field. Ask him to speak through you in the, in the matter of seed sowing. And you're well on your way to everything we would want as a prerequisite to a missionary in South Asia. Yeah. Those disciplines and where they can be stewarded corporately, even in a church planning setting, to be involved in disciple making. That's it. You know uh, what that means for South Asia? When, as you come... Uh, it's we still for the last decade the IMB has primarily in South Asia included we've onboarded team members come and be a part of an established team we we promise a mentor we promise apprenticeship well at this point that is still the majority of the personnel who arrive with us on the field in South Asia we have more than 60 teams that have job descriptions ready to be filled. Mm. Meanwhile, over the last two years and for the next decade, we intend to not only onboard team members, but to reopen a job job description, a type of job that both you, George, and I originally filled uh, that we're now calling strategy leader interns. Mm. Where out of a team leaders people group list or out potentially looking at a people group list with no team assigned, the mentoring is still in place with one of our cluster leaders. The teaming and community is still in place as as you will be directly supervised by a quality mentor. But the targets have shifted so that some units might take on more responsibility for developing strategy, for people group engagement, even from field arrival. 
So Lord willing, the strategy leader intern beyond joining an existing team is assigned a mentor, is promised community related to supervision and a broader teaming network for community, but ultimately is being asked to revisit even potentially taking on a people group list, otherwise unengaged by the IMB to develop strategy, to implement engagement with the core missionary task, the CMT, for targets otherwise unadopted, untasked. So the strategy leader intern role, we're just beginning again, uh, and we're intending to roll that out across all our clusters with quality supervision. Yeah. All through the Himalayas and across South Asia, you know very well, yeah. uh, there's plenty of ground yet to plow. Yeah. And the work continues. But, you know, I, I praise God just for over the last two decades, how much of that ground has been plowed and is starting to bear fruit. So, you know, in fact, over centuries of time, we would all, all of us reading a missions text would recognize William Carey, the father of the missionary movement. You realize at the conclusion of the 18th century, William Carey had been on the field in Cal, outside of Calcutta for almost a decade. At the end of the 18th century, when it turned the year 1800, there was exactly one convert, mm-hmm. Krishna Paul, right? Year seven of William Carey's own investment in India. One convert, 220 years ago. Yeah. Well, we did the math, and I'll just end with this, George. Uh, our target population in South Asia is 1.8 billion. It'll cross 2 billion around the year 2028. Mm-hmm. In which case, our 200 units, we've got them surrounded, right? With 200 sure. iron units, 60 teams. The reality, you do the math on that, and that's approximately 9 million South Asians per unit. Wow. As we consider South Asia. Listen, though, this is not, a, this is not the weight of lostness. This is the celebration of 200 years of harvest. If it's 1%, of South Asia that has turned to Christ, genuinely accepted the death, burial, resurrection. One percent, which all of our estimates put that number just above that for South Asian population. That's 90,000 believers per unit mm. that we've been able to deploy. Mm. Across South Asia, across 200 years, two full centuries of time, how much potential is there to mobilize? How many potential seed sowers waiting that seed could be put in their hand that they could be mobilized and put into the work locally in South Asia? 90,000 to one unit as far as that training paradigm goes for near culture ownership of the Great Commission. Mm. Oh, the task is enormous. As far as South Asian believers, it's larger than it's ever been. As far as South Asia lostness, over the next century, that continues to be. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you're enjoying the Movements Podcast, help us out by leaving a review or spreading the word any way you can. I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.